look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. How about you? I'm good. Uh, your lawn doesn't need any uh, rain or any... Uh any more water? Any more moisture, I don't think. Yeah, I, th- I it's think. It's looking I, good I and kept, green. I kept my sprinkler on so long. That's, <laughs> it's funny how many times I've caught it raining and I left the sprinkler on. I know. Or the irrigation system. Yeah, the irrigation system. Yeah, I don't yeah. manually turn it off. Yeah, exactly. That's just too much work for me to figure that out. So. All right. So, <laughs> um, good show today. We're going to, listen, we've got lots of questions. We're almost halfway through the year. Yeah, there's been lots happening in just the last two weeks and lots of questions about where this market's going and why, what's driving it and what are the... You know, what's keeping people awake at night? Or what should we be worried about? Yeah. What derails this? Thing? Is there going to be a recession? Right. And we're going to talk to Benjamin Tall uh, about that and try to get some perspective and sense of what the heck is going on here. What can we, you know, what can we expect between the United States and China coming up? You might yeah. be surprised. You want to stick around for that. And then we've got an interesting conversation to have about if your parents are ill and they need you to help them financially. Mm. Can that derail your retirement? Well, um, that's going to be an interesting uh, conversation to have. It's a terrific question um, and one that I've faced all week this week. So very interesting sense of perspective on that. Okay. Um, Okay. Can I I bring something up with you? uh, I'd I'd love you to bring this up. (laughs) I know know what you're going to bring up. You know, I kind of teased it to you before we started. Yeah. When you enter retirement, you end up being a liar. (laughs) Liar, liar, (laughs) pants on fire. And here's what, this came off of a Forbes magazine article. Many individuals approaching or living in retirement are living a lie. Mm -hmm. Part of it is societal pressure Mm -hmm. where people have been saying to you, how old are you? I'm 65. You should retire. Why are you working? They look at work as a bad thing and they look at leisure as a good thing. So you're saying that they may lie to themselves about why they're retiring. Yeah, it's time. Or why they need to retire. I need to retire. Okay. I'm 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 65. Okay. I get my old age security. That must mean I'm old. Okay. So I have to retire. All right. And so there's a pressure within society here in the Western world that says if you're 65, that's a retirement age. Mm-hmm. And so there's pressure for people to lie to themselves saying, well, I'm turning 65 now. Maybe I should retire. And then they come to us and they have a conversation and we go on the on our boards on our on our walls and start writing up ideas of how they can retire. The conversation sometimes goes into the mathematical side of things, right. but not the why do you want to retire. Right. But can I stray onto the mathematical side for a minute? Sure. Because there's some lying going on there too. Okay. Talk to me. Um, I'm not thinking um, in the last week, uh, but I am thinking over the sort of the past six months. And there is there's a common theme of, of, of people that we talk to with respect to a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And one of the lies sometimes told is, you know, whispered, I I haven't been totally honest with my partner about our financial situation. Uh, so here, here's a scenario where often one of the partners is ultimately responsible for the money, the, day the investments. Day, the day-to-day of investment decisions, right. financial okay. planning and all that. Maybe it hasn't quite worked out <laughs> the way it's supposed to work out. Yeah. And I don't know how to tell that other person. Yeah. Faisal, can you tell my partner that <laughs> we're not in good shape or it wasn't as it wasn't done as well as we thought it was? Right. Right. It, may not, it may not be a bad situation. Right. It just could have been better. And now I'm I'm responsible because I said I'll take on that that role in the family. Right. And oops, 
it's not going the way I thought it was. You take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's on you, man. Right? It's on, it, you, yeah. And I find there's two different groups of people. Right. There are individuals who had to do it themselves. So I call them do-it-yourself investors. Mm-hmm. They come to, to me in, in, in my meetings and have said, um, okay, I haven't done it right. So now you take care of the responsibility. Right. So they're outsourcing their responsibility. Then there are others who have had a long-term or a previous relationship with an advisor. Mm -hmm. They come to us and talk about retirement and their goals and objectives in retirement, their ambition or purpose when it comes to retirement. And they're saying, my previous advisor messed everything up. Right. And so I ask the question, what did you hire your previous advisor for? Right. Well, we just talk about stocks. And so... We're not talking about these other things. We're not talking about taxes. We're not talking about retirement planning. We're not talking about healthcare right. and the cost of healthcare or how do I pass my assets on to, and we're not having those discussions. Right. We're just talking about stocks and, and he hasn't done that great. There's nothing great that he's done or she's done. And now I, I want to change. And so they're upset or they're blaming the previous advisor liar because of no retirement <laughs> plan. Wow. No <laughs> retirement plan has been done. So you yelled out liar. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. What do you mean by when you say liar? No, I'm not, I'm not actually saying you're it. just calling me a liar. No, I'm not calling you a liar. <laughs> okay. That's one of the things we lie about. So in this particular case, it was a lack of accountability. I know the, the case you're referring to, a lack of accountability to actually educate or let the advisor know the, uh, that my goals and objectives have changed. Now, I could argue easily that, that the advisor should identify ask, that as, yeah, him, yeah, be asking about that. Uh, but, but there's but an accountability you, issue But too. there's the, the problem that I have with our industry. Yeah. The average investor believes that the any advisor and every advisor does the exact yeah, same yeah, thing. No, no, for sure. That there's no such thing as a specialist. Yeah, we get that all the time. Well, this is a Wood Gundy thing. No, no, no. There's a whole bunch of different people doing different things, right? Yeah. Inside firms. Yes. And there's so the 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 terminology of investment advisor, right. financial planner, portfolio manager right. does not give you clarity on what that person does. Every single day in their job. Correct. And so because we just can't make up titles right. and we can't just talk about whatever we want to talk about, there's a regulatory requirement right. behind us about our titles. Right. When they sit down with an investment advisor, they assume that all investment advisors do the exact same thing. Uh-huh. And this is where I think we need to educate the average person out there and say, ask your advisor what's their specialty. Right. And if they say their specialty is being a general practitioner, yeah. then you have to be comfortable that you're in a general practitioner's practice. Right. If you have a specialty and you can explain it and that your client doesn't want that specialty, right. then they need to look for another advisor. Yeah. You yeah. see, the problem- In fact, I would argue it's the advisor's responsibility to help you do that. Correct. Now, yeah. that, that assumes that the advisor knows what their specialty yeah, is, no, right? So I think what I'd like to see more and more Canadians do is actually sit down with their advisor and say- what are you really good at? What's your specialty? What do you wake up every morning to drive to your office to do? And if they say whatever, let's say they just pick stocks and that's not your number one priority. Right. Because your number one priority is I want to retire. I want to make sure I'm I need income and yeah. I have all these other issues besides just investments. Then you need to find another guy or gal. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Okay. Let's go back to, so, so there's, there's, Retirement, just by its very nature, we started this with a shocking statement about lying. Liar. Right? <laughs> um, and so let, let's reverse that because okay. there's, 
um, as you make this transition, we often talk about it to transition to the next stage of your life yep. because people define it differently. Um, then we've got to be honest about what that transition is. Um, if there's more than one of you, if you're a couple, right, yep. there has to be a, um, a level of communication about um, the responsibilities, the goals, and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, there's got to be communication and transparency of what's happening. Right. 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 And, and also people sometimes mm-hmm. lie about their lifestyle because mm-hmm. they're trying to either keep up with the Joneses <clears throat> yeah. so they end up spending more so they can show off. Part of, part of the problem in retirement is it's like the, the f- what, what, what did you accomplish through your life is what you're doing in retirement. Well, it's the Facebook thing, right? You, you, you go on Facebook and you'll see some, somebody's retirement, which is a bunch of doctored pictures and it looks fantastic. You go, how come I don't have that? Yeah, because you don't have Photoshop. That's why. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the lie. Right? right? Yeah, you're lying about your lifestyle right. or you're trying to portray a lifestyle that isn't necessarily you. Right. And or so, you're retiring for reasons that aren't yours. Correct. You're lying about why you're making the transition. Correct. So we get, you know, when we have the conversation of what your lifestyle is and they say, I'm going to travel, I'm going to do all yeah. this fun yeah. stuff and yeah. then it's all, you know, dreams and, uh, and all that. Yeah. And then they come and we start working through the numbers and they go... I have a modest lifestyle, Faisal. Well, this is interesting. This is perspective. My modest lifestyle yeah. per month after tax in my jeans, I'm making up a number here, $10,000 a month. Right. And so when they say modest, I start to think, wh- what world are they coming from? Right. Because in some people's worlds, you talk to Bill Gates, $10,000 a month. He starves to death. He starves to death, yeah. right? But when you talk to the average Canadian who spends $5,000 before tax, right. That's the average couple. Right. And this couple is now spending $10,000 after tax. In retirement. In retirement. Right. They're not living a modest lifestyle. Right. And just to be clear, Relative. we're not saying don't live the lifestyle you want. It's just have perspective. When you, It's difficult to use the word modest and 10000 a month and, after and when tax. And right. when you have that reference point, right. then you can determine what's really important to you. Right. Because some people say, I want that $10,000 a month lifestyle, and they go... And they look at their numbers, and they may not be able to reach that lifestyle, but that wasn't their lifestyle to begin with. Right. So what do you have to do? Right. right? So this is where, when you're sitting down with an individual or a team of, of specialists, how do you put all this together so you don't have to lie to your partner? Mm-hmm. More importantly, you don't have to lie to yourself. Right. You know what I'm saying? I do. Uh, and a terrific point. Listen, we're going to have to de- decode all of that and put together and help people put together plans because these are common challenges, right? Um, and we're doing that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, we're going to decode this, like you said, yeah. on Tuesday, July 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call at 966-8400 or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You're worried we're going into a recession? Stick around. We'll discuss that after the break. Here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about economics and money uh, today. We're uh, we're almost halfway through the year, I suppose, Faisal. And you know what? It's uh, It's been an eventful year already. We've had lots <laughs> going on, even just in the last little while. And we've got a terrific guest to help make some sense of this, of sort of what the year has been so far and where we think we might uh, end up over the next 6 to 12 months. That's uh, Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets. Benny, welcome to the show. A pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think we have had an eventful year, at least most investors that we talk to. Um, you know, that there's lots of headlines. There's lots of news, m- tons of noise. And we're trying to figure out sort of uh, where we've been and where we're going. And maybe 
if I can start the conversation, Benny, with just a bit of a uh, of a recap of the first um, you know the first five months, four and a half months of this year, and your thoughts. How did it shape up relative to to um, to what you were thinking at the beginning of the year? <laughs> yes, you know what, uh, a lot of surprises, and you know what. Yeah. We can have a brilliant economic analysis here, and one tweet will change everything, as you yeah. all know. So the volatility in the market is something crazy, and we are trying to normalize the abnormal. You know, we saw NAFTA, you know, being accomplished to an extent. Uh, that was not a big surprise, and that was a positive. Uh, clearly, we expected some noise uh, with China, and until a, a month ago, two months ago, it was actually very surprising that, uh, you know, they, they, they were saying that they would be very close to an agreement, and then, of course, uh, Trump tweeted, and everything is gone. Uh, so I think uh, now we are back to what I expected to happen, which is not going to be very pretty with China. And I think that, of course, the trade dispute between China and the U.S. is um, much more important than NAFTA or NAFTA two. And if we have a full-scale trade war between those two countries, we have a global recession. So it's a big story. Uh, clearly, the first uh, half of the year in, the, in Canada was not very strong. No big surprise. A bit weaker than the bank expected, the Bank of Canada expected. We haven't seen business investment um, recovering, and we have seen the housing market slowing down. And that's why we have seen a significant change in the language coming from the Fed and from the Bank of Canada. In November of last year, just November of last year, both central banks were telling us that they're going to move by, let's say, 100, 125 basis points. Mm -hmm. Now we are talking about cutting interest rates, not raising interest rates. So a huge difference in language and um, the way those central banks are looking at the economy in general. So Benny, how does that change in just six to seven months? We have seen an about face of, of tightening to now easing and potentially even more quantitative easing of buying bonds from the European Central Bank. Like, how does that happen so quickly? Yes, that's a very good question. And I think that uh, the number one issue is the trade dispute with uh, China. This is big. This is big. Uh, you know, the market was operating under the assumption that there would be some sort of an agreement. And, you know, even Trump uh, told us two months ago that by June we will sign something. And then, of course, uh, something happened and it's not uh, going as well as expected. And again, the market is terrified of the consequences of a trade dispute uh, between um, the U.S. and China. So that's one aspect. And if you wish, we can talk a little bit more about it, because I think any investors, any investor has to have um, a working assumption about this dispute and what it means for the market as a whole. In addition, we haven't seen the economy recovering in any significant way. In, um, you know, in uh, Europe, Italy just celebrated its third recession in 10 years. GDP growth in Germany was basically zero over the past six months. So no surprise that they're talking about uh, another wave of uh, quantitative easing over there. And here in Canada, we haven't seen really a situation in which um, exports took uh, over domestic in uh, domestic activity like uh, housing and consumption. And the Bank of Canada has been waiting for this rotation for about two years. It, it, it's not happening. Again, maybe related to the trade issue and the uncertainty that is impacting the psyche of Canadian CEOs. And in the background, yes, the labor market is on fire, but wages are not rising. And therefore, both central banks uh, don't have to worry too much about inflation, allowing them to talk about uh, cutting interest rates. So, Benny, you, you, you lobbed us a softball there that I want to run with a little bit, uh, and that is we, we have lots of conversations with investors about 
What exactly does this trade dispute between China and uh, the U.S. look like? Where could it go? And what should they be keeping an eye on? So maybe we've got some time here. Maybe we can spend a little bit of time and have you just expand on that particular challenge and its potential implications. Yes. First of all, I don't see it as a trade war. I see it as a war against China's development, especially in technology. Basically, we have a situation in which uh, Trump is trying to keep China down when it comes to technology, preventing them from becoming a mega power in the technology space. I think that's basically the hidden agenda. China has something called Made in China 2025. They basically have a date, 2025, and they have a list of um, high-tech sectors, including artificial intelligence and robotics. And they basically say, we, China, by 2025, we want to control uh, the global economy when it comes to those uh, forces in the high-tech sector. Uh, that's their goal, and they've been uh, going at it uh, for the past uh, few years, buying um, a lot of American technology, Canadian technology, m and activity, investing heavily in this space. So the first wave of uh, the tariff that was imposed by Trump on uh, China was not on uh, T-shirts going to Walmart, but rather on Made in China 2025. This is a brilliant, brilliant trade policy. Basically, what Trump is doing is attacking China where China is, is vulnerable. It's future. And that's basically the hidden agenda. It's a brilliant, brilliant trade policy. Maybe he has no clue about it, but it is advisor. <laughs> Whatever it is, it is a very strong, effective uh, trade policy. And the Chinese know that. The Chinese know that this is really the agenda. The second wave of tariff still focus on high-tech and high-value added um, uh, goods and services. And then the third wave, if it's going with it, will be on, on uh, consumer goods. So that's more or less where we are now. The question is, what will be the reaction coming from China? And uh, China, I believe, will take a very long-term view. They, they think in terms of generations as opposed to, you know, quarters. quarters yeah. And uh, they basically say, you know, Trump is a blip. Trump will go away. We'll ride this way. We simply have to buy time. Eventually, we'll get to this 2025. Let's call it 35. So I think that's more or less the way they are operating. And how do you buy time? You, you stimulate the economy to ease the pain. You use the currency as a weapon. The currency is now down by 7%, the, the Chinese currency, the yuan. This is huge because Trump is imposing a 10% tariff. It's really only 3% after the tariff. So they are using all kinds of tricks to buy time and hopefully to get some sort of um, an agreement um, that everybody will be happy with. So what is a reasonable working assumption? We must have one. And I think that a working assumption is that uh, there will be some sort of an agreement. Both sides will save face because Trump needs this agreement as well before the elections. And the Chinese would like to save face within the Communist Party and give Trump something that he will be happy with. And um, I think basically that, that's what we are going to see over the next six to, to eight months. It's going to be a very, very cold um, agreement. And we are already in a, some sort of a cold war when it comes to technology. This is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I would not be surprised that uh, there will be the emergence of two trading blocks uh, over the next few years, which has major implications because in a, in a, 
in a cold war, other countries have to choose sides. Right. We will have to choose sides. And so I think let's that's pause really there, the Benny, issue. if I... Let's pause there for a second because that's a, sort of a great tease to the next segment. Let's talk about the implications of what that may look like. And also, I'd love to talk a little bit about Canada, our pipelines, and the impact it's going to have. Uh, so stick around after the break for that. But before we go to break, uh, Faisal, we should remind everybody that we've got an upcoming seminar we'd like to invite everybody to. With everything that Benny's talking about, all the issues that are out there, how do you grow your portfolio? More importantly, how do you protect your income in retirement? We're going to walk you through that solution. On Tuesday, July 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in the west side of Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right. If you're interested to understand the impacts of pipelines for Canada, stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, we were joined in the last segment by Benjamin Tall, who's the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets. And, uh, Benny, I think you did a pretty good job of sort of giving us a bit of framework, not a bit, uh, a good framework around what we're facing in this in this trade dispute or this technology uh, war that's taking place between um, the U.S. and China. You left us with an interesting thought that you could see this developing into uh, two trading ec- economic trading zones and a bit of a cold war in the sense that different countries are going to have to pick sides. What's the implication for, for investors, for, for Canadian investors? Yes, uh, the first implication is actually for Canadian uh, policymakers, because, you know, Canada has been trying to diversify its economic engine for a while. Um, you know, we have a trade deal with 51 countries. 51 countries, that's a lot of trade deals. A lot of negotiations. Uh, but if you look at uh, over the past 10 years, our reliance on the U.S. is actually the same as it was 10 years ago. So with all those agreements, nothing really happened. Why? Because there was no sense of urgency. Now with Trump, with NAFTA, we know the story. There is a sense of urgency to do something regarding diversifying our trade engine. And that's what the last budget basically told us. A lot of money is going to be invested into diversifying our economy and exports base. So, However, an, sorry, Benny, but as an you, as an yes. economist, you're, you, how would you look at the, the the Canadian government and what are the key things that they need to do to diversify? I think part of the problem when we're on this side of the television or this side of the radio or or, or, or reading on online, where we get frustrated because the lack of speed to get this stuff done. For example, the pipelines as being the biggest one. What do we need to get done from the government to kind of get this thing moving a lot faster so we can see that diversification, not only within who we're trading with, but also with the economies within the certain areas around this country? Well, that's a very good question. So first of all, I think that we have to rethink diversification because the, the Trump era is changing the way we analyze diversification because if i'm right and we're going to see two major uh, trading block basically a semi cold war if you wish and in a cold war you need to choose a side now before trump you diversify in a very simple way you sell to whoever is willing to buy now if they're in the other side do you want to sell to them you see, so we have to rethink diversification in terms of what countries we want to be involved with and what side of this um, war or dispute we are in. So that's very interesting set of different thinking, if mm-hmm. you wish, 
given the new era. So that's why the focus should be not only on different countries, but also on products. We have to diversify in terms of uh, value-added um, goods and services. The service sector should be a huge factor when it comes to diversifying our ex- export base. And of course, of course, of course, the pipeline aspect is huge when it comes to this uh, situation. We need to be able to ship our oil. No question asked about it, because I think that's a, a part of the Canadian economy, and we need to be able to ship this oil, otherwise we simply choke on it. So that's something that we have to work on in a big way. So there's there's a um, sentiment here in in southern Alberta, in Calgary, in parts of northern Alberta, that are coming out and saying um, there's no need to worry about Canada. Con- provinces like Alberta should just separate from the country, maybe even join the Americans and avoid this issue. We're going back to that conversation happening out west of of separation. Um, these types, I call them distractions to the real problem. Um, and so what what do you think about those individuals who are in, there are economists out there who are saying the same thing, They should that Alberta, Saskatchewan, and, and British Columbia should uh, should separate from uh, from Canada. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I won't get too much into it. This is just uh, all kinds of people talking. I think that we should focus on the issues. And the issue is, how do we get the oil out there? And I think that should be a priority. And we have to find a creative way, a responsible way to get this oil out. We simply sit on it, and that's not healthy for anybody, the Canadian economy in general, and of course, Alberta in particular. Yeah, I don't think you're getting any disagreement from anybody in Alberta that we don't want to be sitting on it, that's for sure. Um, I mean, hopefully we've made some progress there. Yeah, and Benny, what else can we do? Like, there's there's oil. We all understand that, you know, it is one thing that we have to get that that out of the ground and out to, uh, to other consumers. Water, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what else can Canada do to have Canada's interests move forward? Because, of course, we're not as big as the U.S. or the Chinese, but we need to have some sort of sovereign economic program. So what are your thoughts with that? I think that uh, I value added manufacturing is a big one. You know, you look at places like Toronto, uh, you know, Kitchener, Waterloo, we are leading when it comes to um, high-tech startups. So clearly there is something here that people are seeing. In terms of uh, foreign direct investment, we are getting nice money into the technology space. I think that's the future. I think that's the future. And when I say technology, I mean also technology within the energy sector where Alberta can lead the way. So I see basically adding value to what we do. We have been way too comfortable uh, in Canada as a whole, and also Alberta, quite frankly, when it comes to just uh, relying on a simple economic model. We need much more than that. We need to add value to what we sell. If we do that over the next 10 years, we look different. So the bond market right now, Benny, is showing a potential sign of in- inversion, which generally speaking, we talk about that being the big R word, recession coming in, um, especially with how rates have moved down in the U.S. and Canada's having their uh, their issues as well from a bond perspective. Do you see a recession coming in the near term? Well, clearly the inverted yield curve is a signal and we should respect the yield curve. I know that the economy is going to slow down and that's maybe what the bond market is trying to tell us. But I think that uh, the difference between previous episodes of inversion in the yield curve and now is that central bankers, the Bank of Canada and the Fed are not repeating past mistakes. They are not raising interest rates. In fact, now we are tweeting about the possibility of cutting interest rates. This means that uh, central bankers are not repeating past mistakes. And if that's the case, 
I think that the bond market is now a bit too expensive. I think that uh, with interest rates actually, short-term interest rates going down, that will lift uh, expectations for economic growth in the U.S. and actually will lead to higher long-term uh, yields uh, in the U.S. So I'm talking about a steepening in the yield curve over the next um, uh, few months, something that they can catch the market by surprise because until now we have been talking about the flat yield curve so a steepening in the yield curve because remember in the past we've seen it in 93 98 there are some episodes in, in which when the fed cuts interest rates long-term interest rates actually rise why because people believe that this cut will help the economy uh benny last question before we have to sign off here um there's there's actually a big dispersion between um, anticipated direction of Canadian U.S. dollar intra, um, uh, spreads, sorry, uh, foreign exchange, between the big Canadian five banks. Where do you think the Canadian dollar is going relative to U.S.? That's a very good question. In general, you would like it to see, to see, you would like to see it going down because that's what we need in terms of exports. However, we are seeing a situation in which potentially the Bank of Canada will divorce itself from the Fed. Mm-hmm. We are talking about the, the Fed cutting twice Uh, this year, in the second half of the year, some people say three or four times. Uh, So clearly the Fed is moving. The Bank of Canada is not showing any inclination to cut interest rates anytime soon. So we might see 50 basis points cut by the Fed with no move by the Bank of Canada. Now, how long the Bank of Canada can divorce itself from the Fed, that's a different question. But there will be a period of uh, time in which the Fed will go one way, the Bank of Canada will not move at all. And in this situation, you will expect the Canadian dollar to improve. So we see the Canadian dollar actually appreciating a bit over the next six months and then losing ground again. And then losing ground. Okay. So for all of you traveling in the next little while, there you have it. Play uh, <laughs> your currency accordingly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, Benny, listen, we got to wrap it up at this point. I want to thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and shedding some light on what a lot of people are quite concerned about and thinking about and giving us a little future gazing as to how this might work out. A pleasure. Thank you. We've been joined by Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief uh, Economist at CIBC World Markets. Uh, Faisal, we've got to make sense of this. I mean, uh, we talk a- about all of these different moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, people are moving into retirement. They're losing an income. They've got to live off their savings. How do we put together a portfolio to sustain them through not just what we see in the next 6, 12, and 24 months, but through a 35-year retirement? Yeah, and this is where the biggest concern comes into play is yeah. with all these issues happening, will I be ha- will I have enough money to retire? Yeah. We're going to show you the solution to that on Tuesday, July 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, stick around after the break. Are mom and dad getting a little older? Is their their health failing? Could that screw up your retirement? Stick around. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Lots to understand, you know, to take away from uh, Benny's comments. Um, And and understanding the the environment's dynamic. Yeah, it's changing. It's dynamic. It's changing, and so... Although with whenever there's change, there's a resistance to that change, which yeah. brings up anxiety levels. Yeah, and and we're t- we've been talking about the world, yeah. the macro world, things right. that you really can't influence in your own house. Right. But there are things that happen in your home or in your family that influence your retirement. Yep. And so before the break, you mentioned um, 
if your parents are ill, can that derail your retirement? So, so the, it's a broader conversation. Um, and, you know, we often reflect back when we're thinking about these shows, what was common themes, uh, questions we were getting throughout the course of the week. I had an interesting week um, upon reflection because most of my conversations in one way, shape, or form, Faisal, connected to health. Okay. Okay. And so one of the, the meetings I had, um, you know, with respect to that the, sort of the throat of this segment, um, we sat down, I sat down with a couple doing a review and um, we got on to, I mean, the, the, the metrics were fine, their financial plan, they were meeting their objectives, so on and so forth. But the, the conversation came around to parents. I said, so what's going on? Let's talk broadly about life, what's changed, and so on and so forth. Mom and dad are still alive, mm-hmm. his parents. And um, uh, their, their health is failing. I mean, they're in their 80s, and as things do, they're getting a little weaker. Okay, Mom's getting a little weaker uh, physically. Uh, dad might be forgetting some more things, you know, not sure if that's a, an aging thing or a you know yeah. a, a problem, but here's the trouble, um, Dave. Is my siblings aren't going to be able to help with this if mom and dad uh, need more money than what they have, um, and they do have some money, although modest. Okay. Okay. So there's a potential that we could be in a position where we need to uh, chip in. Okay. Financially. Okay. How are we going to plan for that? Yeah. And that's a health bucket conversation. Absolutely. Okay. I'll come back to that. I had a second conversation with another client. Again, doing a review, and we were just exploring uh, the different areas that we want to talk about. And in the, in the lifestyle conversation, uh, I noted that um, her traveling has decreased over the past, call it 18 months. And so why is that? Well, hip. Okay, so I'm having some troubles with my hip. So mobility. It's a mobility issue. Pain's not too bad right now. Mm-hmm. Concern that, you know, the pain's coming. But I'm just not confident enough to be now overseas if anything should happen to me. Yeah. You know? Um, and so as I was going, and, and there were others. There were two or, two or three other connections to, um, to health. And, I, you know, I was thinking about one of the presentations we had at our uh, retirement conference. So we host an annual uh, retirement conference in June for clients and their, their friends. And a very well-attended session, we got some very good feedback on it, was this, I, this notion of how do I plan for healthcare costs and um, you know, general quality of life issues in retirement. Yeah. And I, I just thought it's, it's something that will touch us all. Health will touch us all at some point through this journey we call retirement. Yep. Right? Uh, it may not touch you directly. Maybe through a partner, a family member, or it could even be a close personal friend. Yeah. Right. But at some point, it, it touches this, and we need to think a little bit about. And this is the gray area, right? Doing the math and in, in financial planning and whatnot is one thing, but there's a there's an art to this, and the art is all the gray stuff, and it's the it's the experience of health that it's going to have on lifestyle. There can be associated costs with it. There can be a changes in lifestyle as a result of it. Right? How do we think about this stuff? And it's not a, it's not an easy conversation to have with people, yeah. right? Yeah. So I know that the health bucket is something that is uh, is near and dear, and it's, it's, it's near and dear to your heart and your passion. Absolutely. You kind of lead the health bucket yep. here. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, I suppose I'm challenging uh, our listeners today to start thinking about that. And you have an interesting uh, line that you share with people uh, generally at our seminars, and you talk about our 65-year-old clients who are retiring, thinking about their lifestyle and income, and, you know, planning for retirement, telling their kids to plan for retirement. But what are the 85-year-old yeah. cli- so, 85 so clients say? what I say is a 65-year-old client will tell their child, save for your retirement. Yeah. An 85-year-old client of ours will tell their children, save for your health care. Right. They're seeing the change in the health care system right. where they're paying more and more out of their pocket. Right. So their parents are saying, don't assume it's all 
holidays and and sunflowers and stuff like that. Yep. Sunflowers don't ask. <laughs> uh, and, and so, <laughs> but they're but what they are saying is you're going to have to start put paying for your own healthcare. Yeah. to some degree. To some degree. Well, right? And yeah. so this is where now what we're seeing with this aging demographic mm-hmm. is our our clients are starting to take care of their parents. Mm-hmm. Some are doing it with the day-to-day care and some are doing it with the financial care. So giving up time or giving up money. Yeah. Right? And so there are people who feel obligated cuz they're parents, I mm-hmm. get that. Yeah. That they need to put some money into this program and help their their parents out. The challenge is, is sitting down with your parents and saying, "Well, what the heck do you want?" What kind of what kind of care do you want? Right. How what what's going to happen? And the spe- now there are cases where you know severe such as Alzheimer's and dementia where then you have no choice but take over. Right. And now you have to make those decisions as a personal care directive. Yep. But there are there are times where like I'll, I'll pick on my father. His mobility <laughs> has changed over the last five years. Mm-hmm. It is tougher. I can't t- take him to long distance traveling and so forth like I could have five years ago. Right. And so. As his mobility changes, and assuming it does and gets worse, mm-hmm. there's going to be a different type of conversation. So those conversations I'm having with my father are, well, you're alone, Dad. You're in one end of the city. I'm in the other. What happens if something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. How would I know? Yeah. How would anybody know to help you? Right. So the, the conversation has to go into the quality of care, the monitoring of that individual, um, what kind of financial compensation or, or, or financial contribution is a better word to use to, to help this person, whoever they be. They, they may not even be a parent. They just might be a sibling or a, or a loved one. What is your, what, and what responsibility? This also has a conversation with your parents potentially of how much money you got. Yeah. Yeah. It can be, it can be difficult. Here's an interesting one. I'm going to take you back a week further. I had a conversation again, a review with a client. Uh, wife is suffering from a hip problem and is in pain. Uh, 18 months. Okay, to get it fixed. I said, well, listen, I'm going to connect you with another client of ours who decided to go outside of the Canadian system, went down to the United States and get this repaired um, and talk about it. Uh, and they they did speak. Now, I don't know what this couple is going to do, but the, the person that I connected with, he said, I am not waiting for 18 to 24 months. The pain is too great. It's going to kill the quality of my life through that period of time. So he budgeted for, went down to the United States and got it done. Within literally less than a month, we have a we have another couple that waited the twenty four months. Yeah, and he is having a tough time with his recovery. So here's what I'm I'm yeah. not saying good, bad, or indifferent, uh, but the decisions that you make in the financial plan will often put in you know every five years or eight years or ten years for a new car. Okay, I think we might be getting to a point now where we're going to have to put in twenty or thirty thousand or forty thousand dollars every ten years, or at least at some point for a new hip or a new knee or yeah. something like that. Right? Yeah. That's that's what our healthcare planning might come to. Yeah. Um, for many families in in this country, and that's part of the ongoing review of the health bucket. There right. are many people in our industry that do not discuss the healthcare and the health of their client. Right. And as it changes, because there's the fun years, there's the not so fun years, and those not so fun years is when you start taking out the car mm-hmm. as part of their income bucket or expenses, yep. and start bringing in the hip, the knee that yep. you might have. Yep. You might have these surgeries on a private care basis. Right. We're not gonna. Some people don't want to wait for the government to figure out the healthcare program. Right. We've been doing this show for ten years, right. and they haven't figured out the healthcare program. Right. Just the right? acute. Everybody agrees that we should have more acute care beds. 
right? And in 10 years, there's only been a committee formed. So, uh, you know, it's it, frustrating. It is frustrating. And there's people caught up in the middle of that right now. And I'm not poking, um, you know, taking shots at the Canadian healthcare system. There's, there's real challenges they have to overcome. But as individual families, we do have choices, right? And medical tourism is becoming one of the conversations I'm having more and more of. Right. Okay, um, let's remind everybody before we sign off on the show about our upcoming seminar. Yep, health is an important piece of your retirement. How do you protect that on Tuesday, mm-hmm. July 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel, West Calgary? You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. Thanks for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to joining you again next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.